0: So as I was going to bed last night quoting the text of scripture that I'm preaching from this morning, I was rolling it over and over in my head. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies Your footstool. I was looping this around in my head. And the more I looped it, the hotter and hotter that thing got. And I thought, this is a hot one. And I could not get out of my head a grill. And I said, the only appropriate pulpit to preach from tomorrow is is a backyard grill. Come on now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling you, I'm telling you. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That one verse in Psalm 110, verse 1, may be the most defining scripture when it comes to accurately understanding Jesus. Yes and we need to understand it the reason i say it is because of all the old testament scripture that points to jesus and there are two to three hundred some say 500 different scriptures in the old testament that point to jesus this one psalm 110 verse 1 is the only one of all of them Repeated six times in the New Testament. So this one text appears seven times in your Bible. There are not many texts you can say that. I'm not saying that there isn't another, because I, I, I haven't fully researched that. But of every, every text that points to the Messiah, Jesus, from the Old Testament, no other text is repeated six times in the New, New Testament. there is no truth you and i hold to that in our lifetime will be more contested than the doctrine of christ there is no reality we want to reinforce in the lives of our children more than who is jesus when we go door-to-door, and we've now gone to 2,480-some homes, out of our th- we've only got 520-some homes to, to reach the 3,000. We, we're going to finish that by the grace of God in the next two months. But there is no reality that you and I hold to that is more contested in the neighborhoods around here then who is Jesus? Yes. And I appeal to you today that there is no text of Scripture that we need a better handle on that is intended to shape our view of Christ more than the one we're looking at. Yes. Now, this text is so Broad, so deep, so clear, so relevant. And yet, um, for whatever reason, I have never taken an entire message just to preach on this text. But let's dig in. Now we're gonna look at it as it's quoted in the New Testament. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 2. Now here we find... Peter preaching the first Christian message. Peter played a unique role in in, in the economy of God. Peter was the first one who made the accurate declaration about Christ, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And think of how many millions since then have made that declaration but jesus was the first for whatever reason peter was also uh, slated with the assignment to preach in the holy spirit filled atmosphere of this first pentecost now you've heard of three-point sermons well uh, I, don't, I don't very often preach three point sermons, but on this day, Peter did. Yes. He preached three texts of Scripture. He preached from Joel chapter 2, Psalm 16, and then his third and final point was made by quoting Psalm 110, verse 1. So he culminated everything he preached on this verse. In a sense, he stuck the dismount with this verse. The first text from Joel chapter 2 was explaining the context of the Holy Spirit. He's explaining from quoting Joel chapter 2 what just took place at Pentecost and how the Holy Spirit came as as Jesus promised he would come and, and he gave these other tongues and everyone, thousands of people heard in their own language the gospel being preached. And to, to give the scripture reference for that, he quotes Joel chapter 2. Then he moves from Joel chapter 2 to Psalm 16 to preach the resurrection. The resurrection is obviously core and paramount to, the, to our Christian faith. If Christ has not been raised, then our faith is futile. It's empty. But that was not what he culminated with. He goes from the resurrection to the ascension. Now, last week, Stephen really gave a masterful panorama of why the ascension is critical to our faith. But this morning, I'm not gonna give a panorama. I'm gonna give us, by the grace of God, solid footing in this one text. And Peter begins this way, verse 33. Being therefore exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let, uh, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So the culmination of Peter's message was based on this one text of scripture. Now, it's interesting, Peter changed one word. When he quoted it, he he changed one word. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies a footstool. That's what you'll read in Acts chapter 2. What David wrote, and we're going to see the significance of this. What David wrote is, the Lord says. Not just at that moment, all the time. There is never a day that the father doesn't say to the son, sit right here at my right hand. And the amazing thing is, a thousand years before Jesus was even born, the Father was saying to the Son, you sit right here. Yes. Hallelujah. And somehow God allowed David to overhear what the Father was telling the Son. Now there's three irrefutable elements to the ascension all contained in this single verse. So in a sense, this third point of Peter's Pentecost message has three points. I can't get away from a three-point sermon if I tried this morning. There are three points. Number one, and it's rooted in the first words. The Lord said to my Lord. The Lord says to my Lord. Just those words. Think of this. The Lord said to my Lord. What this does is the ascension of Christ confirms the deity of Christ. This is irrefutable. You cannot say you believe the Bible and do not believe in the deity of Christ. Now God loves all the peoples of the earth and and he sent his son to die for all the peoples of the earth but there is a world religion, and there are several world religions that say, yes, we believe in Jesus, but they deny the deity of Christ. You can say to those of that popular world religion, what do you do with Psalm 110, verse one, because there is no answer. I'm just telling you, there is no answer. Okay, just, you try to come up with an alternative. The Lord, that's David, is the one being quoted here. The Lord says to my Lord. Who is David's Lord? Now, not only is David pointing out the Father in this verse, but he's pointing out the Son. And he's calling the Son his Lord as distinct from the person of God the Father. The Lord said to my Lord. But when David said it, the Lord says to my Lord. It's almost as if David overheard this more than once. Somehow David lived with such intimacy that it was an ongoing thing that he overheard the father telling the son. But let me ratchet that up a notch. Here in this text, David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says. Yes. But let me read what Jesus said when he quoted this text of Scripture. Now, I mentioned it's, this one text is in six different places. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, so that's three. It's here in our text in Acts, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts, and it's twice in Hebrews. But in in Mark's gospel, chapter 12, verse 15, and Jesus taught in the temple and said, so just picture this. Here Jesus is teaching in the temple, and he says, how can the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at your right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Now this, is, this account in, in Mark's gospel is one of the great Trinitarian scriptures in the bible and there are many but right here no let's just look at what i just read he's quoting david he's referring to the fact that david had this revealed to him explicitly by the holy spirit that's what jesus said so david here is speaking by the holy spirit and And he's referring to a moment when the Father spoke to him as the Son. This is irrefutable scripture confirming the deity of Christ. And it's an ascension scripture. Who else would David be referring to? I mean, would David be referring to Saul? No, this was not Saul. He knew better than that. Saul never heard God say that. In fact, Saul heard the opposite. I gave you a chance, and I was going to establish your kingdom, Saul, but because you've you've disobeyed, I have to find somebody else than you, Saul. So Saul heard the opposite. So you tell me, was, was David talking about Nebuchadnezzar? No, was, was never Nebuchadnezzar ever, ever uh, told by God to sit at God's right hand? Of course not. There, there is no other answer. This one text of Scripture, an ascension scripture, shows that the ascension confirms the deity of Christ. Now, the next phrase, sit at my right hand. Five words. I'm telling you, church, these are five words you want to loop in your mind. You want to pray. You want to feed these into your prayer life. Yes. Sit at my right hand. These are five of the most extraordinary, comforting, strengthening Reassuring words ever penned. The father is speaking to the son. Sit at my right hand. The the word sit literally means sit enthroned. It, 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 It not only points to the deity of Christ, but it points to his royalty. It's why the writer of the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, calls Jesus the ruler of the kings of the earth. We often use the phrase, king of kings and lord of lords, and that is used in the Bible referring to Jesus. But, but, But I love that phrase in the book of Revelation. The ruler of the kings of the earth. Some of us, are upset that Iran uh, doesn't like us. Well, the Father did not say to the Ayatollah, sit at my right hand. Some of us are upset that that the, the, the ruler of North Korea doesn't like us. Well, God didn't tell the ruler of North Korea, sit at my right hand. Now I thought of this this past week, as I understand, the, the Game of Thrones uh, uh, came to an end, or is about to, and um, I, I don't know much about it. I've read articles and so forth, but I guarantee you, when, when the Father said to the Son, sit at my right hand, he is not playing games with his throne. Hallelujah. I guarantee you that much. No, there's nothing arbitrary about who has that access to God's throne. Sit at my right hand. Now the right hand is the position of honor. Um, Jesus said uh, when he was on trial the last night of his life, Matthew 26, 64, He said, I tell you, from now on, you, high priest, will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And you know what the guy did? The guy takes his his shirt, his jacket, his robe, and tears it. Because he had a choice. Either what Jesus said was true, or it was total blasphemy. And rather appropriately, from his perspective, he tore everything he had. Kind of like the Hulk. Well, he was standing in front of the superhero of all superheroes. And he couldn't handle it. The guy who was supposed to be the authority on religious issues was one-upped. But it was the right end. Then you remember Stephen. When he was on trial, Acts chapter 6 and 7, uh, Stephen, it says he's, they're, they're throwing rocks at him. And they're killing him. like They're bruising him. His, his ribs are breaking. His skull is, is being lacerated. And he's about to die. Well, it says there at the end of Acts chapter 7 that Stephen lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He not only saw Jesus standing at the right hand, he said it. So it's repeated. Because it says that he saw it first because... They could tell he saw it because of of his countenance changed. And then he says in front of everyone, I see heaven standing open, and the Son of God standing at the right hand of God. And his eyeballs became like two giant video screens that not only did he see into the throne room, everyone that was looking at him saw into the throne room through his own eyes but that's not all you can look it up later 20 times in the new testament it refers to the right hand 20 times i'm just giving you a few examples but the clincher for me is not only did Jesus say, I'm going to be at the right hand, not only does this text of Scripture repeated seven times uh, in the Bible tell us he's, he's at the right hand, sit at my right hand, not only did, did Stephen see Jesus standing at the right hand, but it says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God Almighty. Now think of that. What that's doing is it's taking what Stephen experienced and giving it to all of us. Not only did Stephen see Jesus at the right hand, he gave it to every one of us to be able to recognize that today Jesus is at the right hand. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. No, ultimately, there is no game of thrones. Amen. And when the Father said to the Son, who knows how many thousands, millions of times the Son heard the Father say these words, sit at my right hand, sit at my right hand, sit at my right hand. Now, what this gives us, one scripture, confirms the deity of Christ, assures us of the royalty of Christ, but it also flat guarantees us the victory of Christ. Until your enemies, until I make, the Father saying to the Son, until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, those two phrases, Your enemies, your footstool, normally don't go together. If they're your enemies, they make you anxious, they make you antsy, they put you on edge. They they are anything but a footstool. You you see them as your enemies. They could harm you. But think of what this did for Jesus. To hear the Father say, until... I make your enemies your footstool. Hallelujah. What a promise. You know what a footstool is. A footstool, some people call them a hassock. Uh, some people, it basically turns a chair into a lounge chair. You, you put a footstool in front of it, you, you can chill out you you know, it's the phrase "kick your feet up." That's what the father is perpetually saying to the son. Yes. Now, I want to just tell you something about that footstool. That footstool is getting bigger every day because it says in Isaiah chapter nine, uh, "For to us the son is." given to us a child is born and the government will be on his shoulders his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace and of the increase of his government and of his peace there is no end now David prayed several times about the, the footstool He prayed in Psalms. He said, um, join me in worship at the Lord's footstool. It says in Isaiah, the last chapter, 66, the first verse, that heaven is God's throne and earth is his footstool. But did you know that every time we gather in worship, the footstool was a little bit bigger than the last time? It's true. There is an ever-expanding footstool for Jesus. Hallelujah. And the beauty is, you and I, part of our nobility as the redeemed of God, is you and I are part of building that footstool it's true of advancing christ's kingdom living under his authority taking the gospel and sharing it with others all of that is is bringing ideological enemies to bow before christ and we are enlarging his kingdom expanding his government both personally domestically over our finances, over our relationships, in our community. All of that is building an ever-enlarging footstool for Christ. If you are in a rut, let me say to you on this Memorial Day weekend, if you are in a rut of watching television, news, and getting in a lather over this problem and that problem, and, and y- you, you live in anxiety over the unraveling of issues and, and at times seeming uh, the demise of decency and all that. Let me tell you, turn off your television and spend time before God's footstool. A footstool means God is not sweating. God is not wringing his hands. In fact, it says in Psalm 2 that why do the nations rage and the kings of the earth conspire against the Lord and against his anointed? That means the Father and the Son because the anointed is the Christ, the Messiah. So why do the kings rule and plot in vain against the Lord and against his Christ? It says, don't you know that the Lord laughs? He laughs. He laughs and his feet are on the footstool. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This text of Scripture, brothers and sisters, is so relevant. It It confirms Christ's deity. It assures us of Christ's royalty. And it absolutely guarantees Christ's ultimate victory. Now, look at the response to this passage. First, it's the response of heaven. So he not only quotes that the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make uh, your enemies your footstool, and then to finish his message, he said, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God is has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. So the ultimate fulfillment of Psalm 110, verse 1 had not yet happened when David overheard this conversation. It was a prophetic word that would be fulfilled when Christ was crucified, when he was raised, 40 days later, he ascended to heaven. He brought back into heaven something he never had before, a physical body, and he sat down next to the Father. And that's when this was fulfilled, and it says, God has made him both Lord and Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's how heaven responded. What a moment in heaven when Christ was seated now for the first time with a physical body never before but look at how the people responded on earth verse 37 now when they heard this they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles brothers what shall we do Peter said to them repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord your God calls to himself. With many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who received his word and were baptized and added that day about 3,000 souls. What a response to the ascension. How do you respond? How do you respond? I hope you say to the Lord, what shall we do? How should this impact? our lives the one thing for certain you cannot turn away from Psalm 110 verse 1 without a response that Psalm also includes the irrefutable words you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek isn't that amazing Same Psalm 110. It's a short psalm. Two of the great messianic scriptures contained in the Bible. But how do you respond? First of all, I hope your heart has a positive response. If if you have been debating in your inner thoughts, is Christ God? Is Jesus God? I hope you see from Scripture that it is irrefutable. If you believe the Bible, you have that. But not only the fact that he's God, but David said the Lord says to my Lord. I want you to be able to say my Lord, he's my Lord. He was David's Lord and he's going to be my Lord. Today would you crown him Lord and would you from this day forward live your life in surrender and obedience, in devotion to the one who sits on the throne. Hallelujah. 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 Let's stand together. We're going to sing this morning in response. We I think we have a couple of songs to end with. But I want to just give you an invitation. If you have heard this message and if you have not been living under the authority of Christ, today is your day of invitation to come and say, He's my Lord. He's my Lord. I'm going to follow Him. Would you, would you make a public declaration of your the orientation of your heart and if you're here this morning and have never made that decision if you've never taken christ as your savior today would you take him i want to invite you to come